over the course of this last week, from uh, Sunday morning through to Friday night, we hosted the national directors from all of the nations around the world that have their own associations of Indian churches, and also a number of guests. So we had 43 people from 18 countries representing 24 countries and speaking 11 languages. And we had them here up in F1 for the whole of that week. And it's been a, just an amazing time of spending time with friends that we already knew and making new ones from right across the world, Indonesia, Philippines, Chile, I think Chile and Australia here this morning. So just about to fly out today. And uh, so part of the benefit to us is that we get a speaker from that collection. And I'm thrilled today we have Costa Mitchell. Uh, Costa and Lorraine did a day for us yesterday with our leaders. And uh, we got to know them, first of all, 29 years ago. One of the joys of being an intern pastor at the Anaheim Vineyard, that is the lowest form of ecclesiastical life, is that when there's a Friday afternoon run to LAX, the airport in Los Angeles, and it's going to take you two hours each way, no one wants to do it, so they say, oi, intern, go pick up. So I met Costa and Rain on that time, and uh, then many times over the years since. We've been to South Africa a couple of times. They're dear friends of ours and of our family. So would you please welcome Costa Mitchell. Good morning, Trent. It is lovely to be with you. Um, I always have mixed feelings when I come to Nottingham because Trent Bridge uh, Cricket Ground (laughs) is the scene of the greatest triumph of the South African cricket team in the 60s and the greatest disaster of the South African cricket team in 1999. So um, I won't say anything more than that lest I start weeping. But... um, (laughs) But it is wonderful to be with you, and thank you again, John and Debbie, and the amazing staff here who have hosted us so amazingly for this week, and um, we continue to enjoy that hospitality. <clears throat> so first, a, a letter that I read uh, from a young lady. Dear Mum and Dad, it has now been three months since I left for college. I have been remiss in writing, and I am very sorry for my thoughtlessness in not having written before. I will bring you up to date now, but before you read on, please sit down. You are not to read any further unless you are sitting down, okay? Well then, I'm getting along pretty well now. The skull fracture and the concussion I got when I jumped out of the window of my dormitory when it caught fire shortly after my arrival are pretty well healed now. I only get those sick headaches once a day. Fortunately, the fire in the dormitory and my jump were witnessed by an attendant at the gas station near the dorm. He was the one who called the fire department and the ambulance. He also visited me at the hospital, and since I had nowhere to live because of the burned-out dormitory, he was kind enough to invite me to share his apartment with him and his three buddies. It's really a basement room, but it's kind of cute. He's a very fine boy, and we have fallen deeply in love and are planning to be married. We haven't set the exact date yet, but it will be before my pregnancy begins to show. Yes, Mom and Dad, I am pregnant. I know how much you are looking forward to being grandparents, and I know you will welcome the baby and give it the love, devotion, and tender care you gave me when I was a child. The reason for the delay in our marriage 
is that my boyfriend has some minor infection which prevents us from passing our premarital blood tests, and I carelessly caught it from him. This will soon clear up with the penicillin injections I'm having daily. I know you will welcome him into our family with open arms. He is kind, and although not well-educated, he is ambitious. Although he is of a different race and religion than ours, I know your often expressed tolerance will not permit you to be bothered by that. I'm sure you will love him as I do. His family background is good too, for I am told that his father is an important weapons dealer in the village from which he came. Now that I've brought you up to date, I want to tell you that there was no dormitory fire. I did not have a concussion or a skull fracture. I was not in the hospital. I am not pregnant and I am not engaged. I do not have syphilis and there is no man in my life. However, I did get a D in history and an F in science. (coughs) And I wanted you to see those marks in their proper perspective. Perspective is important. Perspective is a lens through which we look that um, helps us to better focus on what's going on and maybe have a better chance of finding out what am I supposed to do with what's going on. And that's really what all of us subconsciously say to ourselves every day. When we get up in the morning, we want to know what's going on and how am I supposed to connect with it. When we are born, we begin a search for the answer to that question. Why am I here? Psychologists tell us that we need, if we want to have a balanced, you know, kind of fairly well-balanced mental health um, in, our, in our living of life, we need to have the answer to four questions. Where did I come from? What am I doing here? Where am I going? And um, uh, what, uh, where did I come from? What am I doing here? Um, uh, and where am I going? All those four questions. I confused it with another thing that has four four questions. And so today I want us to think a little bit about um, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of our lives? What is the purpose of being here today? What is the purpose of you getting up in the morning and going to work or college or university or whatever it is you go to every day? What is the purpose of my being in the various connections and relationships and areas of activity that I have? And there's a general text or a general answer to that question that applies to all humanity that I want to start with. It's from Acts chapter 17, verse 24, and it says this, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Two places where the word that and the phrase so that are used. And um, to, we, there, there are many places in Scripture that have phrases like that, or there are phrases that, that do what is called reverse logic, which basically um, operates on the basis of the therefore. 
And so it says, God does this, God did this, he has blessed us in this way, therefore, therefore, says Paul, present your body as a living sacrifice. For a friend of mine used to say, if there's a therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. If there's a so that, we need to stop and ask the question, this is actually giving me an assignment. This is giving me some instructions. This is, in fact, creating perspective for the, um, for the day ahead, for the moments in the, in the immediate future, and perhaps for the rest of my life. I'm going to give you the broad terms answer that the text, in fact, gives us, um, and then we'll talk about uh, some stories, perhaps a story that is pertinent to all of us. What it says is that the so that is so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Do you know that the entire purpose of your birth, your being where you are, being in Nottingham or being in England or coming here from wherever you came and uh, finding a place and a home here, all of that and the and the seasons of your life and some of the upheavals of your life, uh, the political ups and downs of perhaps the nation. If, I know that in England you don't have political ups and downs, but in, in, uh, in South Africa we do. We have, we have uh, it's, a, it's a roller coaster ride. It's, it, it, you'll never die of boredom in Africa, that's the reality. Um, and so, but, but the purpose of all of those things is some of the promptings of God that go, um, this is so that you will not relax in any kind of um, impoverishment of spirit and a kind of uh, mediocrity of living and that you will reach out for me and seek me and find me. The purpose of our lives is to discover God. St. Augustine's prayer is pertinent. He said, Lord, thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Now, there's an interesting paradox that's contained in the text. It tells us, on the one hand, um, we are here to seek God's presence and find it, find him. On the other hand, he is not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. The truth is that we live in the context of an omnipresent God. God is everywhere. And we can sometimes see him in the everywhere that, where we live. We can see him in creation. We can see him in nature. We can sometimes see him in the face of a loving relative or a person who cares. Or, and we can see him in the birth of a baby. And we can see him in um, the, the beauty of uh, flowers and animals and all of the things around us. But the problem is that many times it's like that is, an, that is a signal to us that says God is in the room. God is in the house. And what he is saying is, so get in touch. Get in touch. You see, to seek God is not just to be overall aware of his overall presence, 
But to seek God is to lay hold of him and say, like people in the scriptures said, if you're not going, I'm not going either. I want to be with you. I want to enjoy the reality of what your life means um, for, for me. The scriptures say things like this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Recognize that it's not only a matter of having God in the general everywhere, but it's a, it's a matter of abdicating the control and the responsibility and the, and the lordship, the sovereignty over my own life to the God who is there and who said, I made you for myself. Seek the Lord and live is the way Amos says it. Psalm 34 verse 10, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. In fact, I've been in ministry for a few years now. I started as a child and I've been in the ministry for 45 years, so you can work it out. <laughs> um, and my wife was a child bride because we started in the, in the ministry together. Um, and uh, I've been at many, in many circumstances and crises with people in their lives. And I've seen the, the kind of dilemmas that people live with and face and deal with. And I found that although there are these amazing moments where the breaking in of God's presence uh, is something that dramatically changes all of those circumstances. Those are the good ones. Those are the ones we write, write about and we have stories about and we, uh, we have in the magazines and on the television, you know, the, the YouTube clips and the, the miracles, the changes. How many of you have experienced the miracle when God has shown up in your life and he has changed the circumstances dramatically, whether through healing or through deliverance from demonic forces or through through uh, provision of whether it's finance or any other thing, you, you, you've experienced these things? Good, that's great. What I have found is that although those are there and they're wonderful, and in fact the stories of the New Testament tell us that it is something that we should expect because God is otherly, on the other hand, the, the main thing that God promises us and the main thing that I have seen as the answer to the dilemmas that people are living in is not, the, is not the stuff, is not the miracles, but it's his presence. So I've been at the deathbeds and I've been in the, in the, in the room where people are grieving the loss of a child and I say, I don't know the answer. And in fact, I don't think it's a matter of now asking for an answer, but here is one thing I know in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, there is a presence of God that is stronger and more tangible in those moments than in the moments where there is no pain. He doesn't promise us everything, but he promises us himself. We've seen just in the recent past in one of our youngest church plants in South Africa, some amazing Miracles. Um, this is a, a church that has been planted in an, in an orphan care facility. Um, and so one of our churches um, started a, an NGO that is 
the main purpose of which is to care for AIDS orphans in just on the outskirts of Soweto. And they've built 10 houses and they have mamas who look after the children in the houses and they've, uh, we, you know, Mton Jenny provides for their, for their school fees and their uniforms and, and care and food and, and in fact also feeds the other children in the community who, who come along because they, they see that their friends are getting some good stuff. Um, and, uh, and as a result of that, some of those young people started to say this. They said, we, we, we love what Mton Jenny does for us, but more than that, we just love being with you because we find when, we're with you, when we are with you, our hearts are at peace. There is peace. Can we hang out with you more? And that, uh, res, the result of that was the planting of a church amongst these, the senior orphans in the establishment. So 16, 18, 20-year-old uh, young people who were, who were living in the, in the uh, complex. And, um, and the result is that they have come with, with uh, problems, with issues in their lives. Many of them had been uh, bound by demonic forces because uh, in various situations, parents and the, the parent that may have abandoned them had first bound them by some kind of uh, witchcraft to, to various demons. And one by one, as they came and just were in the place where people loved them and cared for them and prayed and worshipped God, the presence of God came and the demons couldn't stay. And so we have seen one after the other of, the, of those children set free. Not only that, but the result was that they have, they have um, uh, changed their entire uh, um, approach to schooling. And so children who were failing in class are now getting straight A's. And the, and the only difference is that these children are, are part of a, of a group where there is prayer, where there is enjoyment of worship, where people care for them and love them. And they, they come away from it, and now the school is saying, we want, you to, um, we want you to come and do that with all of our kids. Come to the school and, um, and, and be with them. And they say, but we're not quite sure what we... They, they say, you must be giving them extra lessons. They say, no, we're not giving them extra lessons. We're praying for them. And, and so the change is happening internally because of encounter with God in the lives of those children. Here is a story from the New Testament. What I find out, found out about Jesus is that he was very strategic in every meeting that he had with every person. And I want you to imagine as we read this story that this story is about you. It's every man's story. It's every woman's story. And, and, and this is how I experienced Jesus myself. And this is how I believe all of us um, should experience him is that he came here this morning on a search for you. You may have thought, well, my job is to seek him. Actually, he says, I've never been lost. But I'm here for you. And, and this is one of the stories of that. It's in Luke chapter 19 and from verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, 
He could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. Think about that. When Jesus comes to your seat, he takes a moment and he looks into your eyes and he says, I'm here for you. That's what happened to Zach. Zach. That's what happened to Zach. Zacchaeus, he said, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. That's every person's story. When Jesus comes in, he doesn't come into a clean house. He comes into a mess. Yes? Don't wait until you've cleaned up your act before you let him in because he's an expert at fixing broken stuff. He's an expert in cleaning up. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So isn't that an amazing paradox? That here is Zacchaeus, and the story starts with Zacchaeus seeking that he may see Jesus. And Jesus saying, actually it was a setup, Zac. I arrived in Jericho because I came to look for you. You may have thought you were looking for me. I was here to look for you. So Zacchaeus is an interesting story, and he reminds me of me, and I think probably all of you will be able to relate. It has many echoes in all of our lives. The first thing that I notice about him is that uh, he, he, was, he was familiar with the road, and there was an avenue of trees. That avenue of trees is still there, if any of you have been to Jericho, um, and, uh, and Zach picked out one of them, and climbed it. Now, there was a good motivation in Zach climbing that tree. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But he wanted to do it from a grandstand. He wanted to do it from a spectator vantage point. He wanted to see Jesus without getting involved. When I first asked my wife to go out on a date, she said, okay, but I don't want to get involved. And I could have said that to her then, dating is not spectator sport. <laughs> Connecting with Jesus is also not spectator sport. The kingdom of God is not spectator sport. You know, um, uh, sometimes people come to church and they think that that is their responsibility. I'm fulfilling my responsibility. I came to church. I paid my, put my money in the, in the basket and uh, I've done my duty. And now I can go home. Many people attend church like some people attend clubs. You, 
you apply for membership, you pay your dues, uh, you get the benefits, and, um, and then next year you renew your subscription. <clears throat> that, that was never on offer with Jesus because, you see, when he says, I came to seek and to save the lost, what he means was, I came to take over. He came to find us, and when he finds us, amazing things begin to happen, but I'm a little ahead of myself. On the way down that avenue of trees, Zacchaeus could have rethought what he was about to do. He could have gone, well, you know what? I'm not so sure if I want to do this. Somebody might, might see me climbing up that tree, and what would my friends think? Or he might have thought, you know, all those people hanging around Jesus and the ones that I can't see over because they're taller than me and I'm short and um, they're hypocrites anyway. Or he might have thought, well, uh, the, the, the fact is that um, I'm, I'm ashamed because I know who I am and I know what I've done. You see, tax collectors in Israel at the time were not popular people. I, I don't know that they've got any better at, the, at being popular since then, but in, in that day it was particularly so because most of the tax collectors were corrupt. And so they would take extra money and keep and pocket half of it and give what they needed to the Romans. And, uh, and so you, you could know that Zach, when they said he's gone in to be uh, into the house of a sinner, they had a particular reason for saying that in Zacchaeus's case. Some people go, I mean, Zacchaeus might have gone, well, yeah, this is a good idea, but I've got work to do. I'm too busy. You know, um, there are, there are you, you, you can never really know if God is real. It, it, it's something that might be nice. I'll go, maybe I'll go home and switch on the telly and, and uh, watch a program about wildlife. Maybe I'll find God in nature. So we, we all have our exit ramps that we could have take that we could take on the way to the um, to the tree that we wanted to climb so that we could see Jesus. The the trees we climb are in fact also um, interesting. Religion is a private matter. Or we say, well, my particular tree is I want God to explain some things before I trust Him. Uh, we may have an intellectual tree. I climbed an intellectual tree when I was, when I was at university. And I said, um, I, for me, God is not rational. The whole idea of God is neither rational nor relevant to my life. And so I chose atheism because there were a whole lot of reasons. One of them was that I took pride in my intellectual arguments about the non-existence of God, and also because I didn't want God to be breathing down my neck when I went out to do bad stuff. Sometimes we climb the trees of um, our shame, our lack of self-worth. We climb the trees of self-disqualification. There are some of you in this room God spoke to me about and said that there are people here who say that this is good for other people, but I am disqualified. That's your tree. You're sitting in the perch. And you may still want to look down on the head of Jesus as he walks by, but you don't want to get involved because you don't feel worthy. 
So think about your tree. The, the second thing about Zacchaeus is that, uh, I have said this already, but it's a wonderful thing to picture the scene as Jesus walks along this avenue of trees. Tall trees, Zacchaeus is quite high up, and Jesus is walking by, and he's walking down this avenue, and he stops under the one tree, only the one tree, and he looks up. And I think he looked up with a huge grin on his face and said, I see you, Zach, come down. And so the seeker was found. That, that's, that's actually the purpose of our lives. The purpose of our lives is to seek until we are found. The purpose of our lives is to seek the presence of God until the presence of God turns a searchlight of love and grace and forgiveness and change and authority onto our hearts and causes us to know we've been found. I, I read some time ago a little a story of a little girl who got lost in the park and her dad was searching for her and searching under all the bushes and in the tree, among, between the trees and it was getting dark and he was panicking and finally he lifted the branch of a low-lying uh, uh, bush and as he lifted it, she had been sleeping under this bush and she looked up at him with a big smile and said, Daddy, I'm, thank goodness I found you. Zacchaeus, the lost seeker, was found. That is the purpose of our lives. That was the purpose of Jesus coming to Jericho. But what happens to the seeker who is found? There's a lot of stuff, and in the vineyard we, we speak often about the fact that the kingdom of God is a dimension of power that as a result of the kingdom of God coming in, the power of God breaks in and saves us and changes us and heals us and delivers us and does all of those wonderful things and in some cases forgives, uh, um, provides for us and, and you'll get a lower golf handicap and you'll get a nicer wife and you will uh, have more money in the bank and drive a nicer car and float to heaven on an inner spring mattress drinking Coca-Cola. That's the gospel. And although parts of that may be true, don't take it all seriously, but parts of it may be true in terms of forgiveness and healing and all of those things. And I, and I know that God loves to heal and God loves to bless. What I think we need to recover is the understanding that the kingdom of God is not only power, the power of God, it is the authority of God. So you, you see, when he comes in, he blesses us and he gives us rest and he does all of that and then he says, and by the way, you're under new management. This is not only a blessing encounter, it is a takeover. And so Zacchaeus finds out that he changes from a spectator to a servant in one moment. Zacchaeus stood up. Jesus didn't tell him to do this. But he stands up and he says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus usually starts with the issue 
that is foremost in, our, in the barrier between us and God. We all make them. He, 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 he kind of deals with the thing that is the main reason why we climbed the tree. Zacchaeus climbed the tree not only because he was short, but because he was ashamed. And as soon as Jesus encounters him, he says, you know the reason for that shame? I'm fixing it here and now. No one tells him to do that. Here's how you'll know that you have truly encountered God is that the thing that has been for you, the barrier between you and enjoyment and the enjoyment of God will change. It will be changed. In my case, my, my mind was satisfied by the fact that, the, that I encountered a real living person. And so I've had many struggles, many difficult, many times of prayers seemingly going unanswered, many times when I've doubted particular details, but this one thing I know, God is real. The one thing that was for me the, my tree, atheism was my tree, he answered that and it changed me. And how did I know that he, that, that it, he was real? Obviously, first of all, from the encounter itself, but second of all, from the effects of that encounter. I was studying to be a vet at the time, uh, and part of the reason why I wanted to be a vet was the more I saw of people, the better I liked dogs. <laughs> I didn't really like people. I woke up the day after I prayed a prayer that went like this. God, I don't believe in you, but if you are real and if you are there and if you are interested, here I am. It's a fatal prayer. I think C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book, he apparently prayed the same prayer and he said and he calls the chapter in which he describes that check and the following chapter is checkmate so when God moves into the room he brings his authority and every aspect of your life comes under new orders new authority new management and here's also how you will know that it's him no human being will tell you what you have to change. You will change because you want to out of a love response to this person who has revealed to you what you were longing for all of your life. Samuel Rutherford, I believe it was, who said, to the two questions, what does God require of man and what, does God, what has God given to man? There is one answer, the life of Jesus Christ. We don't get answers, we get the answer. If you will open your heart and say, I want to seek you, Lord, I want to, I want to discover, I want to encounter you, here's what's going to happen. You see, Jesus is the only person who ever lived the Christian life successfully. He's still the only person who has ever successfully lived the Christian life. Everybody go like this because I just told you a very important truth. You and I are incapable of living the Christian life because the Christian life is the life of Jesus Christ. It is the life that, that lives in perfect harmony and perfect obedience and perfect moral connectedness with God and his truth. And so Paul says, and this is what's going to happen if you, 
you're going to encounter him even today, maybe for the first time. Here's what's going to happen. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by the faith and you can put in any other word in there, power, by the love, by the forgiveness, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. And so this is going to be an invitation for you to discover the answer, the real answer to the many questions that you have. The many questions are, they're important. Your questions are important but God has one answer to those questions, and it is that he will give you his presence. He will come to your house. He will move in on every aspect of your life, and you will change from the inside out. The last thing I want to say is this. If that is all already true for you, if you have encountered, if you've even encountered him afresh today, you need to understand that that is not for you. But that is so that when you go out there, you will leak. You see, that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be leaky vessels that receive this thing called the presence of God and then go out and leak all over the world. Like little streams of water flowing in the streets, flowing in the supermarkets, flowing in the parks, flowing in the, on the university campuses, flowing in our neighborhoods, flowing into our friends' houses, with this wonderful thing, the Son of Man came to seek and to save lost people and to give them the answer to the deepest questions of their lives.